Wow. 大家好, namaste, 안녕하세요. It's so good to be here for a new year. As Daniel said, though, not everybody is that excited about the new year. I wonder how yours is going so far. Unless you're Sean Burke, who is just on point and on fire. <laughs> I've talked to a lot of other people who are like, oh, a little bit hesitant about the year. It's really hard to get back into the office, everything like that. <laughs> Special call out for you, Sean. New Year's resolutions. Don't put up your hand unless you really want to. How many people like to make New Year's resolutions? I don't because, you know, don't want to fail. <laughs> I read someone did a survey that said most people fail their New Year's resolutions by the second Friday of the year, which was the 12th. So if you've made New Year's resolutions and you haven't failed, you, you're a winner. You're, you're right at the top there. So I'm, I'm not into them really, but I do believe in recommitting myself to the Lord and to the Lord's service each year and just trusting that I will grow and be more fruitful this year than I was last year. Has any random thing happened to you already this year? Okay. I can say that for me, it already has. I've already had one very random thing happen. I was visiting some good friends down in Tuaco in broad daylight having lunch, and I own a hatchback, a hybrid hatchback, you know, the Ram Raider special. And uh, because of that, I put a steering wheel lock on my steering wheel because, you know, Ram Raiders. I come out broad daylight and being a very, like, perceptive, discerning, mechanically-minded person, I looked at the car and I saw that the steering wheel was on the road behind the car. And I thought, that's not right. <laughs> Something is wrong. And there was the steering wheel with the steering wheel lock sitting on the road behind my car. Can you believe it? And we talked to the cops. And all we can figure out is that they broke into my car to steal it. But because I had the steering wheel lock on the steering wheel, they pulled and pulled so hard they snapped the steering wheel off the column, snap the middle bracket. So they couldn't steal the car, so I'm counting that as a win. Okay, that's, that's glass half full for me. I'm counting that as a win, and I hope to get the car back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So I hope that hasn't happened to you. One thing we do know in 2024, that whatever circumstance you're facing, whatever comes up that's unexpected, God is with us. God is with us. See, he's not promising us that everything will go smoothly, but he is promising that he is with us. His presence will carry us through this year, no matter what circumstances we face. And the question is, how are we going to respond to those circumstances that come up? How are we going to cultivate a responsiveness so that when something weird does happen, that it doesn't just destroy our world, but that we can carry on and see God's purpose in it. So I'm going to start today by just, um, if we could pull up that scripture from Acts 8.1, a very unexpected and difficult circumstance that faced the early church. This is right at the beginning of uh, church history. And it says that that day, a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside 
of Judea and Samaria. Now, that day refers to the day that Stephen, who was one of the the first of the seven deacons of the Jerusalem church, was stoned to death for his testimony of Jesus. So that's, that's, that's something pretty tough, right? And as a result of that, this huge persecution uh, broke out and almost all of the church was scattered and driven out of Jerusalem. Can you imagine being in that situation? Because we're talking about real persecution. We're not talking about your workmate um, saying something smart because he doesn't like Christians, right? We're talking about actual persecution, people wanting to kill you because you follow Jesus. How many think that the, that the disciples were happy about this situation? You know, we can glorify those kind of difficulties when we read the Bible, but actually they were real people like you and me, and I, I can't imagine that they were happy about that situation, and they possibly a little bit confused, But the interesting thing is, is that that persecution set the scene for the gospel to spread beyond its roots in Jerusalem to the rest of the world and actually fulfill the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. What did he say? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But what we can see is they were actually stuck in Jerusalem and didn't go anywhere because church was going really well. Things were going really well. So I'm not saying that God caused the persecution, but in his sovereignty, in his big plan, he used it to fulfill the very thing that he had commanded his church to do. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be looking at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. It's a really cool story, but I don't hear many people talk about it much, but we're going to have a little look at that this morning. And the title of my message is Positioned to Respond. And we're just going to see how these two characters in the story were positioned to respond and how that might affect our response. So yeah, Acts 26 to 28. I've got quite a lot of scripture going up today. I'm not going to read all of it, um, but it will be there for you to see. But I'll read this first part. So then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, now Philip was one of the deacons, just like Stephen. He could have been thinking, maybe I'm next to uh, be stoned to death. But he was a person who was full of the Spirit, and their job was distributing the food to the poor in the Jerusalem church. But now he's out of Jerusalem. And the angel of the Lord says to him, go, uh, get up and go toward the south Uh, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and he went down, and now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Kandake, the queen of the Ethiopians. Candace, we usually say now, but uh, she was the queen of the Ethiopians, just like Pharaoh was like the king of the Egyptians. And he was in charge of the entire treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. This is a very unusual thing. This this African, this Ethiopian coming to Jerusalem to worship the Jewish God. That's a strange thing right there. And he was returning home, seated in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading the Jewish scriptures, uh, what we call the Old Testament today, from the prophet Isaiah. And the first thing I want to say is that God's guidance in your life always has a purpose, even if it's not 
immediately obvious to you what that purpose is. So Philip is already out of Jerusalem, but he doesn't know where he's going or what to do, but the angel of the Lord says, go down to this road towards Gaza. And he's probably thinking, why? It's a wilderness road. There's nothing there. But his response is not, God, please, I have to have understanding before I obey. First I will obey, then the understanding will come. And he gets down there, and the Lord leads him to this uh, figure who is on a chariot. He's a diplomat. He's a wealthy person. He's got guards. And probably Philip is thinking, oh, this is the purpose that God has sent me for. Now, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. God was drawing this man, and yet if Philip had just randomly seen him, he would probably think, oh, he's a Gentile. He's a non-Israelite. He's someone far from God. And yet God was actually drawing this man to worship of himself. And, and I was just thinking, preparing this, you know, how many people do we see, even people who appear to be against God or against us as Christians, we don't know what God's doing in their hearts. We don't know how God might be drawing them and their um, behavior, there might be a manifestation of them even like just resisting the voice of God, but they're just on the edge of obeying. We don't know what's going on. Now this eunuch When he got to Jerusalem to worship, and he may not have known this until he got there, but he would have not been allowed to have full access to the temple. And the reason is because he's a eunuch. I I hope most people know what a eunuch uh, is. You can look up Deuteronomy 23.1. I'm not going to put it on the screen here today. That's a part of the Bible that I'm not going to share with you. Um, But it talks about the mutilation Uh, that people experience that block them out of the inner courts of the temple. So chances are the eunuch was disappointed that because of his physical state and the fact that he was the wrong ethnicity, he was not allowed right in. So we don't know if that was a good or bad experience for him, but my guess is he was a little disappointed. He's heading home, but at the same time, He's still curious, and he's reading a scroll. The fact that he had the scroll is is amazing enough, and he's reading it. So let's go to the next part. So Philip, uh, the spirit now says to Philip, go to this chariot and join it. And Philip runs up, hears him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replies, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was like this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So the spirit is leading Philip now, first it was the angel of the Lord, now it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God may be directing you differently this year to what he's directed you before. Your guidance, your hearing of God's voice might come from a different place this year. The eunuch he's reading from Isaiah 53, 7 to 8, which just happens to be a passage 
800 years before the time of Jesus, talking about the servant of the Lord who later came to be identified with the promised Messiah, the promised Savior, who is identified in Jesus, but he doesn't understand it. And he reads this passage, and I just want to highlight two words uh, from those verses we saw. And one, the first one is humiliation. So he was a wealthy man in charge of the treasury, but he was a man who knew humiliation because he was a eunuch. Everybody knew what had happened to him. And the vast majority of eunuchs, this is not something they chose for themselves, this kind of castration. This was something that was forced upon them. And they, there was a benefit and a privilege that came from it, but everybody knew what had happened, and they had to carry this humiliation with them wherever they went. The second word is generation. Who can speak of his generation? And that word, genea, generation, that's the right way to translate it, but some scholars believe that in this context and some other contexts, descendants is a more appropriate uh, translation. Who can speak of his descendants? If you're reading the NIV, it will say descendants. And the eunuch may be identified with this because eunuchs don't have descendants, right? And who is this, he's saying, that is being spoken about? And we know that Jesus was put to death. He did not have any physical descendants himself. So that's a real setup uh, for the eunuch there. Excuse me. <laughs> Just getting with it, you know, because I don't want to do the full two-hour thing, right? So God speaks to his people in unique ways. And this passage was tailored just for the eunuch, and he just happened to get to that point in the scroll when the Spirit led Philip to intersect with him on the road to Gaza. The first time I heard God's voice was in a New Age meeting in Hamilton, about an hour and a half from here. And Alison, my wife, was not my wife then, we were in this meeting, we were young, and we were listening to all these presentations on this weird New Age stuff, and this guy stood up and he was speaking about pyramids. Okay, I'm sorry, this is where my head was at at the time, okay? And so he's talking about the benefits of meditating under pyramid structures, and he's talking about uh, growing vegetables under pyramid structures and all this kind of weird stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really interesting. And as he was getting near the end, I heard this voice. It wasn't an audible voice outside of me. It was like a voice inside my head that said, he's lying. I was like, oh, what? What was that? And then as he wrapped up his speech and he was taking questions, all the speakers took questions, I could see by the way he was evading the questions that he indeed was lying. He was making up a lot of the stuff that he was sharing. And Alison and I, that was, our, that was the beginning of our journey out of all that stuff because I shared it with her and she witnessed to it. That is not the truth. Now, I don't, that's not usually the way I hear God's voice, but I, it's happened one or two other times. But that was the way that God needed to speak to me in that situation. And I'm saying God will speak to you in unique ways that you understand. So don't listen to me 
or Pastor Shane or whoever and think, oh, I should hear God's voice exactly the way they do. No, God will speak to you in a way that you can perceive it and that is tailored for you. So then, if we move on, the eunuch um, asks Philip, who is it that this prophet is talking about here? This humiliation and this lack of descendants. Is it himself? Is he talking about himself or about someone else? And then Philip begins to speak, and starting with this scripture, he didn't just jump back to Genesis. He didn't do our favorite little gospel presentation. He started with that scripture, proclaiming to him the good news about Jesus. Because all of scripture, in one way or another, is pointing to Jesus. And the Ethiopian learns this, learns that Jesus' life was cut off, but that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if you read the book of Acts, that is the consistent message of every gospel presentation in Acts, that God raised Jesus from the dead and broke the power of death over humanity. And then they're going along the road and they see some water. And I love the eunuch's response here because we're talking about responses. And he's like, you talk to me about baptism. There's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized right now? Isn't that cool? We saw eight baptisms in uh, December, wasn't it? Wasn't that cool? Maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and baptism is something that you haven't done yet. And that's going to be part of your response to the Lord in the beginning of 2024. So just fill out a Connect card, and we'll be happy uh, to help you with that. So they get baptized, come out of the water, and then the Spirit of the Lord snatches Philip away, takes him to Azotus, which is Ashdod, if you're really familiar with your Old Testament, and, uh, which is in Gaza proper, and then the whole way up the coast, up to Caesarea, he's proclaiming the gospel. What, a, what an incredible opportunity that there's no way Philip would have imagined, you know, when the angel says, go out into the wilderness, that all this stuff was going to happen. So the eunuch ends up responding in a way that totally changes his future, but not only his future, but his nation's future. So he, he is the first recorded Gentile convert, the first non-Israelite, to come to faith in the Israelite Messiah, Jesus. Okay? So that's right there in Scripture. But the historian Eusebius, who lived in about 300 AD, and the Ethiopian church uh, tradition tells us that this man was the first one to proclaim the good news in Ethiopia. And he quoted Psalm 68.31, which says, Nobles shall come from Egypt... Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. And Cush in the scriptures refers to that area below Egypt, which is now Sudan and Ethiopia. So that decision that that man made that day, that response, led to the church being established and is still in existence today, 2,000 years later, in the nation of Ethiopia. The story also demonstrates that the kingdom of God is not closed to anyone based on ethnicity or any physical attributes. So if you're sitting here today thinking, well, you know, this is all very fine for you and uh, Western people, Kiwi people, whatever, to believe in the gospel, this story tells us that the kingdom of God, the reign of God, is for every person, even those like this man who had suffered 
a mutilation to his body that the Old Testament law um, kept him away from the presence of God. But in Christ, under the new covenant, the way is made for every person, regardless of any characteristic. It's an amazing story. So we can see that our obedience has significant consequences because ultimately our response, which is what I'm talking about, is about obeying God and seeing him work. So the Ethiopian's response had a consequence, a benefit far greater than what he could have imagined. And, you know, the spirit is moving there. The spirit is moving today. We don't know how powerful our responses to God might be. It might just be the little thing, the smallest thing that he's asking us to do, and we don't know what the, what the outcome, what the consequence will be of our response or not responding. Sometimes you turn out to be the best person in the situation you find yourself in for God to represent God, to speak for God. Just imagine that in your workplace, in your home, in your um, childcare situation, whatever it is, you could be God's best choice, God's best person to represent him in that moment. He might just be nudging you to speak to this person, to say a particular thing, to take a certain action. And you're thinking, what's that? I'm saying, just do it. Just do it. Just respond to the voice of God. And you don't know what the result of that thing will bring. Our responses also determine how we get through the difficult times. And I was talking about difficult circumstances earlier. So how we respond to God will also determine how we get through the difficult situation and how we see God act on our behalf. I want to share a story about my own reluctant obedience some years ago. I'm not the hero of this story. It was almost a big fail, but um, it did turn out all right in the end. And Alison and I, we were in our city in China where we lived for many years and uh, it was summer, like now. We have a glorious summer, don't we? Not like last year where we had no summer. We were robbed. But we're getting the payback now. It's really good. But it was hot. It was too hot. You know, 36 degrees most days in that particular week. It was uncomfortable. And summer was normally a time where the two of us and our kids would go out to the Tibetan Plateau and we would follow up Um, people that had come to faith during the year but left the city and gone back to their home areas. Or, if we could have some of those pictures, we'd be having, um, you know, preaching the gospel in new areas to people that had never heard the name of Jesus before. It was awesome. And there'd be, like, festivals that were happening in the summer too, like um, horse racing and stuff like that. It was just a glorious time. We just loved going out there for weeks on end. I'm really missing it now as I'm talking to you. But not this summer. Now, if you were born in New Zealand and grew up here, it might be hard to relate to, but everybody else will know the problem of the visa. Who knows the problem of the visa? Who knows that visas are very stressful things and very time-consuming things? And we were stuck in the city because Alison was applying for a three-year work permit. Our passports were in with the police. We couldn't travel outside the city I was feeling a bit sorry for myself. When I get a call from my teammate, 
who's based in a Tibetan town and says, oh, Andrew, we've got this, um, we met this old man, this old monk whose daughter is really sick and they're coming down to your city. So you can't come up here, but they're coming down to you and they're going to the special hospital because there's no hospital good enough in this area. Uh, would you be able to help them? You know, they've been raising money and they don't speak Chinese and maybe you could help interpret and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, I love hospitals, especially the hospital that they're describing, which is like a little hospital on the edge of the city with no air conditioning. <laughs> it's just like, no, I don't want to do this. And then she says to me, oh, well, they're from your dialect area, the language that you've learned. They're from that county. And then I'm like, okay, at least I'll be able to communicate with them. And so reluctantly, I said yes. And it turned out that this, the daughter, her name is Chudi in her early 20s, and her name means to practice the Dharma or practice religion. She was going to this hospital because she had TB meningitis. It's a very serious condition where TB gets into your bones, and in her case, uh, her skull, and she had meningitis on top of it, and she quite possibly had hydatids, which is a parasitic disease that we used to have in New Zealand, but it's been eradicated now. And she had huge pressure inside her skull as a result, constant headache, possibly worms uh, getting into her brain. I mean, it was really serious. And my friend had met the father on the street who's begging for money to raise it. It turns out, if we could have the, the next picture, that the local government and health department had um, met with them and taken these photos and uh, we're raising money, and they had given her quite a bit of money, but it wasn't enough for all the treatment just to get down to this next hospital and take the next step, you know, in the big city. And so, like, okay, I'll go and see. And so I decide to respond instead of just feeling sorry for myself. Now, I get to the hospital some days later. First thing I find out, not the same dialect. Who, who comes from an area where you have multiple dialects where you live? You know, it's just, yeah, it's not easy, is it, when someone is speaking the wrong dialect and you've learned this one for years and years and years and they're speaking this other one. We could make ourselves understood, but it was hard going, I tell you. And I'm like, this is not a good start. My friends said they were poor. They were not poor. They were dirt poor. They didn't have a house. They'd sold it because this girl Trudy's brother had died the year before and they'd sold the house uh, to pay for all the hospital treatment, which had led to nothing. They were dirt poor. It's, it's not a good start. The daughter's in a pitiful state, as you can see. That's her mum using a blow dryer on cold to try and blow cold air on her because her, her head is, is uh, splitting and really hot. So I've been with them for quite a while. It's a collective culture, you know, we're talking about um, all kinds of random stuff, not the specifics of the illness, just getting to know one another, when suddenly uh, a Chinese nurse comes in and says, Your, um, the ambulance is ready for you to go to the other hospital to get an MRI now. And again, collectivist culture, we just made friends, they're like, do you want to come with us? And so I'm sure I jump in the ambulance and we go off to the other hospital, it's, it's really interesting. And Judy takes a number. She's sitting there waiting to be uh, called. And this is a much better hospital. It's got air conditioning, <laughs> all the works. And so the whole situation is really bizarre. It's hard for me to paint 
an accurate picture for you, but I'm feeling quite overwhelmed at this point. This woman, she can't even talk because of the pain in her head. But at the same time, I already had a sense that God had called me here for a purpose. Maybe a little bit like Philip thinking, you know, what's this all about? But that stirring had come, and I started to think of what the Lord had been teaching me in that season, which was that His Spirit dwells in me precisely for this kind of situation. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about every one of us who's put their faith in Jesus. God's Spirit dwells in you so that you can face whatever situation comes your way. It might not look like this. It might be something completely different. But so what I did is I started to talk to the Father because we hadn't talked about faith and they're all Buddhists. And I started to talk to him and started sharing some testimonies of healings that we had seen in his home county area, but home county area that spoke the right dialect, not their really remote village where I can hardly understand this guy. And that after praying in the name of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the Savior of all peoples, not just foreigners, that God had showed his compassion towards the sick and healed them. And he was fascinated hearing about these stories. And compassion is a value that, a virtue that is highly valued by uh, Buddhist people. And so I asked permission to pray for Chudi. And he, he was the, obviously the, the head of that household. And Chudi herself could not really speak coherently. He agreed. And so I pray this proclamation prayer over her and, you know, preaching a little bit in the prayer as you do when people haven't heard of Jesus before. And just as I'm ending the prayer, wrapping it up, wasn't long, her name is called to get the MRI and the brother helps her into a wheelchair, wheels her off. And I'm thinking, that was really interesting. I didn't feel a thing. What happened there? You know, about 15 minutes later, whenever it was, she comes back in the wheelchair and they help her onto the bench seats. I'm like, okay. After five minutes, she stands up on her own and says, I don't feel any pain. And the, the brother and the father are freaking out and they run and grab her so she doesn't fall over. But then she's like, I don't feel any pain. And eventually they let her go and she starts just walking around the room, just looking at all the things in this new hospital. I don't know if she's ever been to the city before. And I'm freaking out by then. I'm like, what's happened? What's happening? And she's just got this big grin on her face. She's walking on her own and she's speaking. Something's happened. Bang. The ambulance is ready again to take everyone back to the other hospital. Hours have passed by this stage. I've been with them for half a day. And I'm like, you know, I need to get home. It's, you know, dinner time, all this kind of thing. I'll see you tomorrow. So I go back home and say to Elsie, I, I think something really happened today when I prayed for this girl. I felt nothing, but something really weird happened. I go back the next day. We have the next picture. She's kneeling on the bed, shoveling food into her mouth like she hasn't eaten for a month because she hasn't eaten for a month, just been drinking. Big grin on her face. That's a brother and a sister. Her sister had come down overnight to, you know, look after her in the hospital. 
and they're all staring at me. It's really weird, like really weird. And then other Tibetans from other wards come into the room, and then they shut the door to keep the Chinese nurses out, and I realize they want me to pray for everybody. <laughs> it was so weird, you know, like I'm the guru figure or something like that. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not wearing that. But I get down to their level, and then as it turned out, we do have a really nice Holy Spirit time, and I get to pray for a lot of people. I could say a lot more, but just want to say that not by any power that I had of my own, but just a simple response to the Lord. This lady's life was completely turned around, and she, a very simple country girl, put a simple trust in Jesus because the Lord literally saved her life that day. I talked to the doctors. They don't speak any Chinese. I had to translate for them in my limited Chinese, and um, they couldn't explain why she suddenly went from misery to looking really good, but they wanted to finish her course of treatment, do more tests in a couple of weeks. You know, she was still there for another two or three weeks. They were still raising money to pay for all the costs, but they knew, the father knew, the brother knew, the sister knew, she knew that God had absolutely saved her life that day, and it was something that I was totally unprepared for. What have I been talking about today? About being positioned to respond to the unexpected opportunities that I believe God will be bringing to all of us this year. Maybe it doesn't look anything like that, the one I just described. Maybe it does. But it's a new year with new opportunities and possibilities in God. You see, God's guidance always has a purpose in your life, even if you don't perceive what that purpose is immediately. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, ask God, what are you trying to do in this situation? God speaks to people in unique ways, like the Ethiopian. He's reading some random verse in the middle of the Old Testament, and that's the perfect verse for Philip to be able to uh, share the good news of Jesus with him. And finally, our obedience has significant consequences, just as it did for Philip, just as it did for the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, just as it does for each one of us, including reluctant me. God wants to channel his blessing through you this year in new ways. What needs to change for us? What needs to change in our mindsets? What needs to change in our expectation for us to be positioned well to embrace all that God has for us this year? Mindsets about how God can or can't use us. Attitudes towards, oh, you know, that's for other people, that's not for me. Oh, I don't hear God speaking that way. Yeah, but you hear God speaking to you in your way. I'm thinking of two kinds of people here today. As I wrap up, the first are those of you who are thinking, actually, I, I need to get my life sorted out before God can use me like Philip. 
Well, I'll tell you, that's never going to work because God is looking for your willingness more than your perfection. You're never going to reach that point where you feel, oh, wow, I'm just ready now for God to use me to do everything. He wants your willingness and your obedience. But if you have issues that you're struggling with, here's a couple of options for you. One is we have an amazing prayer team here who pray after every service. And so come, and if you're needing uh, to break through in some area that you've been struggling with, if you need uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Bob was sharing about a few weeks ago, whatever you need, come, and those amazing people will trust with you that God will touch you. The other thing that you can do is take advantage of our counseling hub. If you're stuck where you're at and you know that you need help on a bit of an ongoing basis to get to the next step, fill out the Connect card and just ask hey, can I get linked up with the counseling hub all confidentially? That could be the step for you. The other person that I'm, the kind of person that I'm thinking about today is is the one who's sitting here and thinking, you know, I don't even know that Jesus that you're talking about, Andrew. He's someone I'd like to know, but I don't know him. Or maybe you have known him or grown up hearing about him, but right now, You feel really far from God. You feel disconnected from God. And it's hard to relate to that story, but you'd really want to know him. And I'm saying to you, just as I was saying about how God works all of these circumstances and situations around to his purposes, it's no coincidence that you are here today. Whether it's because your friend invited you or because you Googled Um, churches in the inner city and you found this one it's no coincidence this is God's leading in your life God has a purpose in that maybe you don't have any sense of purpose in your life and you can't see where your future is heading or you're locked up inside because of your past and you need healing you see we all have wounds and some of those are because of sin and all of the brokenness in the world That's caused by our own sin and other people's. But because of God's goodness and his grace, he sent his only son into the world to show us what God is really like and also to die on a cross for all of that human sin that causes so much damage. And he took sin and death on on himself on that cross and destroyed its power so that all who believed in him could be set free and all the laws and curses and demands and expectations that stood against us could be brought to nothing. Forgiveness for our past and hope for our future. Jesus' resurrection from the dead made it possible for us to have new life, a new life now, and life in God's presence forever. If that's you, and you, or if you feel far from God, I want to offer you the opportunity today to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to have his Spirit come to empower you. Our natural instinct is that we want to work our way into God's favor, but he sent Jesus precisely because we are all helpless to earn our way into his presence We need to rely on his grace and what he's done. All we have to do now is to believe that this is what Jesus 
did and to put our faith in him and to follow him. I'm going to pray out loud. I just ask everybody to, to bow their heads and close their eyes. I'm going to pray out loud. All you have to do, if that's you, is to follow in your heart. Follow this prayer in your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died for me on the cross. Today I want to turn away from my old life and turn to you. I choose from today to follow you and live for you. Please come into my life as I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Reveal your plan for me and transform me into the person that you've designed me to be, that you've purposed me to be. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.